If you compare Montreal to the other ecosystems in the world right now, we are one of the leading uh, cities for AI talent. David Dufresne is passionate about finding and investing in technologies that are disrupting businesses and changing paradigms. He acts as a mentor and advisor to many startup accelerators and incubators across Quebec, Canada and the US. David is partner at Panache Ventures, Canada's most active seed stage venture capital fund. If you want to invest in or work at the very best early stage tech startups, you better hear what he has to say. I'm actually jealous because I'm, I'm, I'm a business dude. And uh, if I had to go back, I would have probably started with computer engineering or software engineering. Uh, but I, uh, I studied uh, business and finance, administration and finance at the well-renowned uh, Université du Québec à Trois-Rivières. So kind of in that B list of Ivy League universities. <laughs> and, uh, but I, and I played a lot of soccer back then, so I was on a soccer team. I started working for uh, professors, uh, finance professors, uh, in my second year um, at the university. And then I did, uh, I did my master's, I did an MSc in small and medium business management. And when you do your MSc there, you need to, you need to work on a thesis, you need to work uh, on a research project. And I got interested in, uh, and I was back in, so that would have been, I'm going to date myself, but us. Uh, 1998 that I started my master's and back then was kind of the internet bubble everything was super exciting I got interested about innovation and how do you make innovation happen and a big part of it is venture capital so I actually I actually did my thesis and research project on venture capital so read all the literature got to learn uh, how it is and then uh, I completed my 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 courses and my thesis I went to work in Australia for a little bit, yes, in a year. For back then, it was the I worked for the organizing committee of Link, for the Olympic Games, wow. so that was a awesome. that was a great experience. And uh, coming from Trois Rivières, my my English was limited, um, so it, it was a really good experience to to yeah can live abroad, live in a big city, meet people from everywhere in the world. And uh, after that, I, I moved back to Trois Rivières and immediately said, I need to I need to get out of here. And so I moved to Montreal and found a job as an analyst in uh, at uh, Desjardins Venture Capital. Awesome. So okay, so, uh, no, shall I keep going? Continue, please continue. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Any questions so far? No. The, so uh, so I spent uh, in total six years there, kind of learning the trade. Um, started as an analyst and like changed job, like progressed in the organization. Uh, back then, the internet bubble had burst, mm -hmm. so it was very tough learning. Like I seeing the, I guess the aftermath of of the venture capital excess was super interesting. Uh, I was in a, you know, in those years you had companies that had to go from 40 employees back to 12. And so very tough decisions, very, very tough market to, to start your career in, uh, but a really good school, really great learning experience. I then um, uh, jumped and went to work as an associate for uh, a firm based in Toronto that had a Montreal partner, so did a lot of back and forth. And back then, uh, the firm now is named Relay Ventures, had a different name back then. Um, but we were one of the first funds focused on mobile technologies. So the, the, the first few years of the app stores, uh, we saw all of that craziness and I was in, and got to, to place some bets. At that point, we were investing in Canada and the States, did some deals in, in Israel as well, some in Europe, so very good experience. And after that, I wanted to, uh, wanted to jump the fence and um, uh, do a startup myself. And um, I was, I've always been a huge music geek 
So I was looking to do something, and back then it would, uh, it would have been a kind of a crowdfunding platform for artists and musicians before we had Kickstarter and before crowdfunding was something uh, well understood and well known. But when, what ended up happening is as I was looking for a technical co-founder, remember because I hadn't done a coding bootcamp, uh, I, I stumbled into a guy who had already a company uh, in the music space, it was basically a website building platform. He was a technical guy who had been looking for a business partner, and I was a business guy who was looking for a technical co-founder. So basically merged our two projects together. Mm -hmm. I became the CEO of the company, it's named Banzugo, mm -hmm. uh, and we grew it uh, from, uh, I think we had like, uh, 5,000 recurring customers back then to when I left about 25,000. So, uh, so nice organic growth. We made the decision to not take any outside capital, so kept it very bootstrap. And I spent total almost five years there as CEO. And it got to a point where uh, Chris, who was the founder and, and then CTO, uh, kind of wanted to keep it small and organic, and I was a, I was in a mode where I, well now we we should increase our team, diminish our profits, uh, in order to go international, go after new markets. So uh, and, and you know we we the relationship was good, but we were completely disagreeing on where to take the company. So I made the decision to leave and uh, got hired. Uh, basically, got hired as a full-time consultant. Uh, to hack as head and growth and strategy for Bandcamp. Like if there are music fans in the room, uh, a lot might, might be familiar with Bandcamp, a uh, company that's based in San Francisco, well, just recently moved to Oakland, uh, but with employees, and that's something we can talk about, like remote work and yeah. employees kind of everywhere. So I worked uh, partly in Montreal, partly in San Francisco with them for about a year with some really great experience, but some challenges there. Mm -hmm. And then um, I got approached to, uh, to come back to the dark side and uh, launch a new venture capital fund. The first fund that we raised and launched was 500 Startups Canada wow. that we did uh, working with the 500 Startups organization. Um, we, with that fund, we invested in 36 different startups, mostly in Canada, uh, with a few in the States. We, we made the decision last summer to end the investment period of that fund, and we started raising a new fund, and that's Panache Ventures. Right. Uh, that I'm doing with right now two two other partners, and um, Panache ex like legally exists since March 1st. Congratulations! Thank you. It's been a roller coaster of a year, uh, and uh, we've invested already in 20 companies, mostly again mostly across Canada with two of them in the states. And uh, I can't tell you more about this, but uh, so we're a yeah. So we're now we're a uh, seed stage fund. Uh, we're probably going to be the most active in terms of number of investments, yep. the most active fund in Canada, uh, but we write relatively small checks early in those companies. And what was sort of your motivation in terms of, you know, working with seed capitals, in terms of just, you know, being a venture capital firm that invests in more later stage companies? Like, what was sort of the inspiration behind sort of seed capital fund? It's so much more fun. The because the, when you invest at a seed stage, like usually we want to invest when the the company has a the, the startup has a prototype or a product that is uh, relatively ready and has some early market validation. So either there's revenue that start coming in, or depending on a business, it might mean a lot of traffic on your website or a lot of engagement in your app, or it could mean a, a lot of pilot projects with some potential big customers. But there's still so much more to do. Mm -hmm. Like often the strategies and isn't like 
completely set, the business model, the revenue model might be to refine, the team is incomplete, you need to, you need to find talent for specific stuff, and I just, I just love that shit. Yeah. Like it's, later stage deals are, are very important, and there's more and more of that in Canada, and I think it's important, but you get to a point where it's a financial transaction, and uh, even though I work in finance, I don't really like finance. Yeah. So, that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so seed stage is more fun, but also, uh, and I can talk about this for hours, but I think the, there's a gap in the ecosystem currently at the seed stage. Mm -hmm. A lot of the funds that were active at the seed stage went on to raise larger funds, and so they kind of moved up in the food chain and are looking after seed, like to, to, late, to do later stage deals, bigger deals. And U.S. and foreign investors don't really come into Canada mm -hmm. at the seed stage yet, so, uh, so it's... It's, it's good for us because we have access to all the best, or we, we like to think all the best startups and founders. And we can do deals that make sense economically and, um, and have a lot of fun doing it. I checked up your website and saw some of your portfolio companies. And you know, some you know, funds probably have a certain area of focus where they just hone in on like, you know, Bitcoin, blockchain, you know, whatever. Uh, I mean, your companies run the gambit. I mean, they're, you know, from, a, I guess, a bar. I saw oh, a yeah. bar that, that obviously struck out to me. It was a, like a bar maintenance. Bar sort of, inventory management yes, system. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Making sure your bar is fully stocked to sort of AI applications. So in terms of how you source deals, like what do you look for? Uh, obviously, there's like a combination between market opportunity and founders. You know, what's generally the thought process, if you can sort of walk us down that? Our... our our expertise or our area of focus is, is the seed stage Canadian ecosystem. Right. So, um, and, and, and even that is a finite population, right? But um, like what we specialize in is future billion dollar companies that are, like, that are getting started in Canada. Uh, what that means in practice is that we, we look for companies that have the potential and the ambition, because you, you might have the potential but not necessarily the, the, the ambition or the taste for something like that. Uh, but we look for founders that have that ambition um, and the, the possibility to scale very quickly. So usually this means, this means industries or sectors that will have that fast growth in the next six, seven years. So at the end of the day, and, and part of the equation is having access to, uh, to future financing, so having access to like later stage capital. So we need to uh, fall in love with a company, fall in love with a founder team, uh, but also predict what later stage investors will be looking at four or five years from now. Mm -hmm. So right now, uh, even though it's not a focus, we end up investing in a lot of AI-driven uh, companies. So if you look to our portfolio, there's natural language processing, computer vision, uh, AI prediction, machine learning for right. bar inventory right. management, uh, for construction projects, for uh, proposal drafting. Mm -hmm. Like some, and sometimes I, I personally have a, uh, I love, finding technology that comes to disrupt old boring industries. Like we're looking at a, at a deal now in the trucking industry. Yeah. That is one of the more, more antiquated industries out there, but finding a way to, again, use machine learning to optimize how loads get matched to drivers. Disruption. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and then we, we've invested in a really cool VR technology company in Ottawa, mm -hmm. and some like a, like a 3D printing com company here in Montreal and some like really cool stuff that we that we think is going to change the world. Oh, very cool. I mean, in, in terms of general, I mean, obviously Montreal, Quebec, uh, the entrepreneurial, the startup scene. Uh, obviously, you saw a demand here by starting uh, Panache Ventures to begin with. You know, maybe broadly speak about what you're seeing in sort of the marketplace in terms of you know 
future opportunities, current opportunities. Specifically Montreal? Yeah, yeah. Quebec, you know, just Quebec, area yeah. in general. I guess that's where most of your companies are based currently. But Well, yeah. see, we see all kinds of interesting startups. I think uh, if you compare Montreal to the other ecosystems in the world right now, we are one of the leading uh, cities for AI talent. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're seeing a lot of very exciting stuff um, just in general AI, so and, and like some of the companies I mentioned, um, the also everything related to the like 3D creative entertainment, like the video game studios. Uh, a lot of people are like when they leave their like job at UB here, they launch a cool 3D audio company or or you know go into video effects or scenic arts and uh, the Cirque du Soleil same thing uh, the, so there's like I like this so if you have a, a, a startup that does AI for the creative space I, I'm, I'm, I love it <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's the confluence of these two technologies that, that's one thing that Montreal has that is unique in the world yeah, no, it seems to have a really good ecosystem here with AI. I just, you know, reading about it the last couple of months. In terms of like sourcing your deals, in terms of like how you somehow meet founders, I imagine there's probably an application process that people do online. Do you work with universities? Is there like a actual kind of way that you do it or is probably each deal is probably different? Well, each deal is different. The best way to get our attention, because the, 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 one of our biggest challenges is, is just attention. Mm -hmm. We get... Um, we get you know 20 new deals emailed to us or or sent by LinkedIn or whatever each day, and um, the way to get our attention is to is to have a reference, have someone who knows us and someone that we trust. So sometimes it's our own investors, sometimes it's founders that we've invested in, sometimes it's our co-investors that are going to say, David, I think you're going to like this deal. I'm going to take the five or ten minutes it takes to, to go through their deck mm -hmm. and say, well, it's not for us for this or this reason, or yeah, it's, let's, let's, book a, let's book a meeting or let's book a call. Mm -hmm. So we do have a web forum on our website. Uh, that that I it, it just captures a lot of information and even companies I'm interested in I ask them to to fill out the web form but someone that will only fill out the web form thinking that we'll book a meeting that's uh, that's like uh, it's like yeah throwing a bottle in the ocean it's uh, <laughs> it, 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 and then and then we do work with the main accelerators like uh, Montreal uh, Founder Fuel. Um, we, we, we're usually, like even me or my colleagues, either mentors or uh, members of the selection committee or coaches or uh, judges in competitions so that we get a good sense of what's, and start building relationship with those, relationships with those startups. Uh -huh. And But we do that across Canada and we, and we even do that, uh, uh, like we, we've rebuilt a, an agreement with 500 startups, so we work with their accelerator in San Francisco, referring deals back and forth, but we do the same with the different tech stars uh, cohorts. Uh, we work with accelerators in Atlantic Canada, in Ottawa, a lot of them in Toronto, some in Western Canada. So it is a pretty good source of deal flow for us. So every, every deal sourcing is a little bit different. Yeah, and usually we, we build a relationship over time. Like a lot of the deals you see on our website are companies that we've tracked for more than a year. Okay. Uh, they were probably too early for us when we first met them, but we keep talking to them, get regular updates. Sometimes we'll help them with some specific stuff. 
and, uh, and a year later, uh, they're ready for us to invest. Are you usually their first investment, or do they have like a friends and family round beforehand? Or yeah, the three Fs. Usually yeah. they come, they've had money from friends, family, and fools, um, <laughs> and maybe some angel investors. Like, we're usually part of the first round where, where there's a firm, like an institutional VC like us. Okay. We never invest alone, so usually it's going to be a mix of uh, our fund, maybe another local fund, maybe some, angels investor, some angel investors, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and it's part of our strategy. Could you just, I mean, obviously not going to specifics, but can you can just walk us down what a typical investment you would do in terms of like, you know, your equity share converts. Like, how is that? Is that? Is there a way that you maybe you can walk us down that, or feel free not to if you don't want to. No, no. It's a, yeah. the the basic math is what people need to understand is that we uh, venture capital is not a loan. We we actually buy um, equity in your company. Uh, our target, very roughly, our target when we do around this is to get three percent of a company's equity, between three and six, let's just say. But we're part of a larger round, so our, our typical first check in a company might be $200,000, and a round that might be between half a million to a million and a half. So rule of thumb is that every uh, stage of the fundraising cycle, it's between 15 and 25% of equity that, uh, that founders will, will allocate to the, to the investors. So, uh, so in our case, we, we like to see yeah, maybe 10, 15% in the seed round that we take part of. And sometimes we'll, in some of the companies that are trending well, we'll write a follow-on check of, on average, half a million in some of those companies. And then we take a back seat. So um, we, we try to get you to the best Series A possible with the most relevant investors. Uh, but then we stop investing and we focus on investing on, in more seed stage companies. Did I answer your question? Yeah, that does absolutely answer the question. And I guess sort of my, one of my last sort of questions before we, I guess we at some point open it up to the group for further questions uh, is, you know, after you make an investment in a company, uh, what's sort of the ongoing kind of advice relationship? I mean, there are different types of advisors. Some just sort of write a check and they don't see them again. Others are more sort of intimately involved in sort of the day in, day out process, the strategy, the growth. Maybe, maybe we're kind watch. of in between, like what you're describing is some investors are very hands-on right. mm-hmm. and they, they want to be on your board and they, they, they're going to be talking to you every week and you probably want their advice if they're good investors. Some are completely hands-off where they'll write you a check and, and say, let me know 10 years from now how I did. <laughs> yeah. And we're, we're, we're what I call hands-if. Okay. So the, we have the challenge of being a small team uh, managing a large portfolio. So we have a policy to no take, not take board seats. But we let our founders know that we're always there to help them. Mm-hmm. Some need our help more than others. So some of our companies are maybe more mature, or they have a good group of investors and mentors already, or sometimes they're in industries that we don't know as well. Mm-hmm. So we're more hands-off with those. Some are closer to us geographically. They're in Montreal. They're in industries in a well. They need our mentoring and coaching. Those we'll spend more time with. Uh, we always help them with fundraising, with, mm-hmm. with the ongoing fundraising. Um, and then with something, so that the upside of having a large portfolio is that we try, and that's something we're building now, we try to create a community. Mm-hmm. Like right now we have 20 companies in our portfolio, with 56 if you count the first fund. Like when a C, if a CTO is like, well, what should I use to process payments? Like don't ask me, ask the right. 19 other CTOs in our portfolio. So we're trying to get that community going so that the, the companies can help because they don't compete with each other, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're all in the same boat. So that's another way that we bring. And then we, we try to leverage that, uh, 
that portfolio to get things like perks like discounts or credits with uh, Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, Google Cloud, and yeah, who knows, Holiday Inn discounts. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Those are all things we're putting in place. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of the overall the BC market, I mean, obviously you've seen some of these rounds that sort of some more, more mature companies have raised that, you know, at least to someone who may or may not have a background, it just seemed like the valuations are just insane. I mean, do you think like there's like a sort of venture capital sort of liquidity sort of bubble? I mean, in terms of like overall, in terms of the deals and sort of valuations that you see in the market, it, it maybe could... I think uh, in some of these unicorn and like the right. Ubers Uber, and, we work, yeah. and Airbnb, we work, the valuations are outrageous. Uh -huh. And there is, um, it, we don't see it as much at our, at our I would say at our stage, we kind of see bubbles in different sectors. Like for a while, every fintech deal I felt was overvalued. It's kind of, it's kind of fell more in line now, but um is there a bubble? I, I hope not. I think. Uh, of course not. You don't. Hope or, or, if, or I hope it bursts slowly, <laughs> if it does. Uh, but yeah, definitely at the later stage. And the problem is that the, the paths to liquidity, I think, need to evolve. Like if you're only if you're if you're an Uber, for example, and your only real path to liquidity for investors is doing an IPO. Um, initial public offering, meaning, meaning your company is going to get listed on a stock exchange. It's there's a lot of challenges to doing that. Mm -hmm. So uh, what we're seeing is more and more secondary markets where it can be investors buying out other investors and early employees. And then I, and then I don't want to get into the the whole uh, crypto ICO. Like I think there's there's some very interesting mechanics there into how future. The future of fundraising will have more liquidity built in, um, but that's that's a whole different topic. Yeah, it seems like we. I was at, a lot of us went to this Fundica conference, and mm -hmm. there was a, a guy there who was speaking about his company. That I guess he got into the Y Combinator, and he was talking about the sort of fear of missing out, sort of thing in terms of some of the valuations, and at least with Bitcoin and blockchain, a lot of that seems to be sort of like a herd mentality, in my opinion, at least. But maybe yeah. you can. Speak to that, a and there's bit. some of that. There's some of that in venture capital as well. Like if uh, if uh, there's a lot of capital available, that, especially at later stages, but even in our stage, some more, sometimes you'll see a company go through YC or go through an accelerator here, and they're the by far the top company uh, at that demo day, and then all the investors are lining up to write checks. Then they they they, they get the upper hand in negotiating a higher valuation and. And uh, yeah, there's definitely some FOMO effects. As founders, if you're able to create FOMO effects and people investing in your company, then you're in a good position. Yeah, that's a good position. Uh, I guess at some point we'll open up for questions. I guess my last sort of question to you in terms of where you see yourself, Panache. I obviously, I imagine you're probably going to try to raise another sort of fund, maybe a sort of bigger fund. Vent yeah. Venture capital, like a lot of people think that, we, that, that, we, uh, that we're very rich people. In the case of my two partners, it's the case. But it's a, it's a get-rich-slow scheme. Uh -huh. So, so uh, the the fund that we're investing now, like, is gonna get to liquidity ten years from now. Right. Uh, the way it works is that the first three years of the fund, we're writing those first checks and start writing second checks. Year four, we're probably gonna write a few second checks. But by after year three, we should have raised our second fund, okay. which should be larger, hopefully larger. We're thinking of maybe expanding in other geographies. Mm -hmm. um, so, by, so by year four, you're investing your fund number two okay. and managing your fund number one. Maybe we're investing in some of those companies. Okay. 
Um, and the good, like I think uh, funds like Real Ventures are on their fourth fund. Inovia, I think, is raising their fifth. So we're we're on number one. So we're one of those BB uh, BB funds for now. Right. And are your investors limited partners? Are they typically like Canadian institutional investors? Is there uh, individuals, foundations? Or? Half of our capital right now comes from Canadian institutions, and half come. Uh, from individuals, so angel investors, family offices, like you high net worth individuals. We're, we, we're not done fundraising, so we're, we're still actively fundraising because we haven't met our final target yet. So we're talking to corporations, we're talking to some of the banks, more institutions, more private investors. Um, it, fundraising's not fun. Gonna, between investing and, and raising another fund, it does not, really, man. Yeah, <laughs> not leave a lot of time. So, I, I, you know, I, I guess at some point we'll open it up for some questions. Let me know if anyone has. Hi, my name is Hugh. Thanks, David, for coming. Uh, it's great to have like investors to educate startups. Um, I'm the co-founder of Autonom. We are a B2B company. We sell to telcos. My question for you is, uh, in which industries are Panache Ventures the most well-connected? Well, it depends on our, like our background. So my partner, Mike, has spent a lot of time in the telecom industry. So he has a lot of connections there. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the media industry. And, I, and through my investments in many industries as well. Um, Patrick, same thing. He spent a lot of time in the marketing, marketing technology, media. We're well connected in the fintech space. More and more connected in the AI space. General... Like I, I think AI doesn't mean anything right now, but uh, like uh, the the <laughs> so just Wizardry. because we've been super active uh, as an investor in those spaces, I will tell you that we're less connected in areas like um, like biotech, pharma, healthcare, uh, clean tech, energy, uh, like anything deep, to, anything where you need to build a factory is probably not for us. Um, yeah, so so it really depends. Super, thank you. Um, the past few years has been difficult for all the founders and partners at 500 Startup. And I wanted to know um, Pana how does Panache Ventures rebound from that and manage to like uh, create a new image from itself? Well, the, so what happened there is, um, so in our agreement, so we were the partners managing the 500 Startups Canada Fund, right? So in the day-to-day -day activities, it was just our team, but we had a, I don't know, we, had, we still have an agreement with 500 Startups, the U.S. entity, uh, where we, we were using their brand, we had co-investment rights with them, we were part of the global team, uh, working with them, collaborating in different ways in exchange for that. Uh, we were paying a fraction of our management fees and a fraction of our future profits. And, and the founders there, so Dave McClure and Christine Tsai, were legally partners in our fund as well. So the end result of the, so for, for those who don't know, uh, Dave, who was our, like, the founding partner in California, um, was, in, uh, was named in a few articles last summer with multiple allegations of sexual misconduct. Something that we, you know, you know that took us by, took everyone by surprise. Uh, we, and, and that meant that, in practice, that meant that for us it was impossible to complete our own fundraising in Canada. Because we were talking to institutions and institutions just, we said, all said, listen, we like your team a lot. Um, we like your thesis, but we can't be associated if there's a link with that individual. So, we, and I'll spare you a lot of details, but the end result of that for us is that we made the decision to stop investing that fund. 
partly because we wanted to 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 keep our reputation, our own integrity and reputation, uh, the reputation of our investors, because we already had uh, something like 40 investors at that point. Um, so we, and that was a tough decision because we, we made the decision to basically fire everyone, including ourselves, and, and just keep like a skeleton crew to keep managing and accounting and reporting for the fund. And, and then th three of the partners decided, hey, let's, let's build on that and launch a new plan built on our thesis on what we've learned by being active in the ecosystem for a year. Um, and, and build a new brand and let's go back to our investors, let's go back in the, in the community. And the community really supported our new plan. Um, and now we're, yeah, we're in a situation where we have this new brand, this new fund uh, that we're putting together. So far I think uh, people enjoy the work that we do, people want to work with us. There, there are tons of challenges, it's not, a, it's not an easy business. Um, but we're, yeah, we're excited that we're going to build something over the next 10, 20 years that, uh, and excited to see where we can grow this. Um, I had a, some, some, uh, some kind of meta question. So we talk a lot about how, as a startup, you can pitch your project to investors. Um, but how do you, as a fund, pitch your fund to other funds that, that fund you? Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of it is the same. Like, we... we like a, a big part of our pitch is our team, uh, our plan. So our product is we're going to invest, like in our case, we're going to be investing in between 120 and 150 companies, mostly in Canada, over the next three years. And we think it's going to yield a certain result. So that's the product that we sell to our investors. So we convince them. In some cases, we just convince them that they're going to make a shit ton of money. Others, like the institutions, also care about the kind of the economic development aspect of what we do. So, so they'll want to make sure that we invest in the province of Quebec or that we invest in. So, so that we kind of ad adapt our pitch to, to all the investors. And, uh, and then, yeah, time, same thing. Like, what's, what is the market like? What is our competition? How do we fit in the ecosystem? What do we think is our unfair advantage as a team? Um, and, and, and then the biggest difference is that it takes a lot of time, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's not, it, 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 it's, yeah, but it's very similar. And, and it's weird because right now still, since we're still fundraising, like I could be in a meeting at 9 a.m. pitching our fund to a potential investor and then at 10 I'm meeting with a startup and then vice versa. So it's, uh, it, it gives us a lot of empathy towards founders because we're like, in fact, we're founders ourselves. Since you've seen a lot of these startups go through stages of sometimes medium or incredibly high growth, many of whom I'm sure are like first-time founders, are there any kind of common growing pains that you see across a lot of these startups and any recommendations that you would give for people that have never seen an organization or like a society they've created just spike up in the number of people they have to manage? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. There are so many things that can go wrong. <laughs> but I would say the people. Always people. The never compromise on people and hiring is hard or finding you know, good co-founders, finding great people to work with is not easy. The market right now is very competitive. Um, but like the first advice I would tell founders is do not compromise, do not settle for B type players early in your company's life because that's, that's, you know, that's the foundations of your house or the building that you're building. So then as you scale, like it's fundraising, like aligning your fundraising with how you think you're going to be able to grow the company is, is a delicate art. 
and it's not something that you learn in school or in a, or in a boot camp. Uh, so uh, uh, surround yourself with smart people, advisors, mentors, coaches that are credible, that have done it, that have gone through it. Um, that's the best advice I can give, uh, I can give early, stage, early stage founders. Um, as an entrepreneur, uh, what advice would you give concerning like, the term sheet that you give uh, when you decide to invest in a company? Oh, well, it depends on the term sheet. <laughs> well, I, I mean, there, it, there's, there's one book I recommend everyone reads, um, Venture Deals, yeah, by Brad Feld, uh, that does a really good job of explaining what can be in a term sheet, what you should negotiate, what doesn't matter. Uh, term sheets these days are extremely, um, extremely diverse. Uh, it used to be, actually it used to be worse than that. Like right now, a lot of deals very early stage are done through uh, convertible debt. So either a safe note or, or um, yeah, which is a simple agreement for future equity, where basically investors will say, we're going to loan you some money now, and that money will convert into the, your biggest funding, fundraising round that you raise with equity. And usually, so usually what's important in those, uh, in those term sheets, or sometimes there's not even a term sheet, it's just the actual note you're going to sign, is negotiating what the conversion discount and the conversion cap will be. So what I'm going to say is, like, here's $200,000, so you can, keep, you can hire your people now and, and start growing now. We're going to convert that into your next round, but you're going to give us a 20% discount Um, versus the other investors. But then we also say that, for example, you're not going to, the maximum conversion price is, for us is, let's say, $4 million or $5 million. So that means that if your next round, you raise it at a valuation of $10 million, we get to do it at $5 million. So, so that uh, negotiation of that like, conversion cap or valuation, if you do uh, an equity round, is the most important. Everything else is details. Um, and some of the details are very important. So I would say if, if, like, when you get a term sheet, like, talk to a lawyer who knows about this. Make sure you, uh, or, you know, to other founders or to investors that know about, like, that, that know how to read a term sheet and can give you proper advice. But the more simple, the more simple, the shorter the document, usually the better it is, in my opinion. When you start having, like, it's when, it's when investors and founders disagree on the pricing, on the valuation, that you start adding these little like extra goodies that usually are the ones that are going to screw you in the, in the future. So try to keep things as simple as possible. Hi, David. Um, can you think of an instance maybe where you were sold on a company um, maybe through untraditional means? Maybe they came up to you at a coffee shop, you know, where it wasn't a, a pitch or a general submission? Yeah, I can think of... Uh... Like the VR company that we uh, that we invested in, uh, basically cold emailed me, and uh, said uh, I was I was speaking at a conference in Ottawa, and said uh, Hey, I see you're going to be uh, you're going to be at this conference. Can, would you like to come visit us? We have this cool VR technology. And I said, Sorry, man, I like I my schedule is completely full. And what he did is he took his gear, found a way to sneak into the conference, set up in the big ballroom during the Saint Cassette, the cocktail hour. And came, came and grabbed me, said, you have to try this. Said, I had two drinks in me at that point, and said, sure, I'll try it. And it was, uh, it was absolutely amazing. And, and then, and, but then, still then, it took a year for us to do the deal. Because like, we became like, 
friendly and uh, he would call me or email me once in a while for advice and a few times I'd go back to Ottawa, I would actually go see them and see their progress. And, and even, yeah, even a year and a half later, we ended up investing. So that's, yeah, don't hesitate to, I mean, the worst thing that can happen, like uh, your, people are going to walk away. <laughs> but uh, but uh, that's, that's an example I can think of uh, top of my head. It helps if you have cool technology you can demo. Um, I was curious to know if you had a chance to, um, to follow or assist a, somewhat of a mentor throughout your career and, and how did it happen and, and if you had any advice as well around this topic. You mean me having mentors? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I, I think I, yeah, I have a bunch of mentors. There are either people I've worked with, some of the, my past bosses. Uh, I wouldn't say I have uh, an, yeah, someone I meet on a regular schedule or it's just a loose group of like right now my partners in some aspects are mentoring me and I'm mentoring them on other aspects. So it's, uh, it's yeah, a lot of our, like, I've always, I'll say this, like I've always found, tried to find time to meet smart people. And, and some of them have become like people that I'll meet like once a quarter or a couple times a year, some of them more frequently. And all of these collective influences are, are probably what made me. So I definitely, yeah, I definitely advise you to go seek out smart people and, and ask, them for, ask them to help you, ask them for advice. There is a saying in Venture Capital also that uh, when you're looking for funding, you should ask for advice. And when you're looking for advice, you should ask for funding. So I think, I think it's the same when someone's looking for a job. If you're looking for a job, ask for advice. I guess we're done. Thank you very much again, David, for sharing your experience and Thanks all for the insights. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Le Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button.